Well, good morning. Pre-Merry Christmas. Well, I know all of you look really calm, so your shopping is done, and your decorations are all up. In fact, the boxes are ready to put them away. Uh, I wish. Well, as we continue our series this morning, it's just what the song sang. Noel, come and see what the Lord has done. Today we're going to be hearing that the long-awaited hope from God will soon be here by a unique way, by a virgin birth. Now, I know some of you here are feeling that a, a virgin birth is a little difficult to swallow. I mean, it doesn't make sense. It would take a miracle. Yep. Absolutely. It does take a miracle. You know, there have been some incredible births in history. Um, the first surviving quintuplets ever born, that's five babies at one time, was in 1934 to the Dion family in Ontario, Canada. In fact, I heard that for the next 10 years, the Dion family with their five babies was the number one tourist attraction in Canada over the Niagara Falls. Pretty incredible stuff. Well, but they, they were outdone in uh, 1974 by the Rosenkowitz family in Cape Town, South, uh, South Africa with surviving sextuplets. Well, 23 years later, uh, born to the McCaughies in Des Moines, Iowa, there was a set of septuplets. Now, I know some of you have heard of the Octomom. That's eight. And that was uh, a lady named Nadia Suleiman gave birth to eight babies at a local California Kaiser in 2009. Well, I didn't know it. I thought that was the limit. In uh, May of 2021, Halima Sisse gave birth in Morocco to the first one and only set of nonuplets. Say that three times fast. Nonuplets. Nine babies at one time. Parents, can you even imagine? The diaper duty. The laundry duty, the nighttime feeding duty. I, this boggles the mind. But the Bible has some incredible births as well. There's Abraham and Sarah, he being 100, she being 90 years old, having baby Isaac, miraculously. There was uh, maybe Hannah, who was barren, prayed, and God gave her a baby, Samuel. Uh, there was even in our chapter, in chapter 1, it describes Zacharias and Elizabeth, who she was barren, had a baby. But all those unique and wonderful and miraculous births pale in significance and importance to the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God the son of Mary, who was a virgin. None compared to that birth. So last week, Pastor Larry spoke about how the birth was promised. We knew it was coming for 1,500 years before Jesus got here. Yet, 
It happened for the purpose that God could bring peace, joy, and redemption to a hopeless world. This world still at Christmas, as fun and as exciting as it seems, is still a pretty hopeless world. And Christ came to give us hope. So we're going to study today in, this ch- in our passage what this supernatural pregnancy, why was that even important? What did it accomplish? Why couldn't God have just done something else? So let's just open our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to read beginning in verse 26. This is a very familiar passage, but I want us to unpack it this morning so we really get some of the nuggets right out of it. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me, according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the living word of God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that indwells us and gives us the power and the joy and the peace and the love and the help we need. Father, would you use this weak messenger, but this powerful message, to get what you once said to the people here this morning, that they need to know that your love has sent a Savior into the world, and this Savior's name is Jesus. We ask these things in his precious name. Amen. Well, let's jump right in. At the beginning, you know, at the time of the birth of Christ, we need to always remember that it's been over 400 years since God has interacted with Israel and spoken. So it's very clear that Mary, and no one Mary knew, had ever spoken or met with a heavenly visitor except perhaps Elizabeth who had just met, or or Zacharias who just met with Gabriel. It's been 400 years and nobody's seen this happen. 
Gabriel and his announcement to Mary really was an announcement and a message from heaven, and it was about joy, promise-keeping, peace, hope. See, Gabriel had just been, six months earlier, visiting with Zacharias, and now he's here with Mary, and we have to understand that the truth of the virgin birth, you may not like to think about it much. You want to think about Calvary, that's great, but there is no Calvary without a virgin birth. Any other natural birth would not produce a Calvary, a redemptive Calvary. See, the virgin birth, though hard to comprehend, is critical to the Christian faith. So we have to understand this morning this is why Jesus, the Son of God, had to come as he did in order to be what he was in order to do what he did. Did you get that? Jesus had to come as he did as a born of a virgin to be what he was, the sinless and holy God-man, to do what he did, to be the satisfactory sacrifice on a cross for the sins of the world. Well, this is the unexpected visit in verse 26. See, Luke's detailed account of the scene begins with the words, now in the sixth month. And of course, we remember the sixth month of Elizabeth's remarkable pregnancy. See, he had just written how angel Gabriel had met with Zacharias in the temple. I don't know if you remember this, but you could read it later. It said that he showed up and Zacharias was terrified. He left him mute, but he announced that as old as they were, he and his barren wife would be having a baby boy named John. And we get a look at this messenger. Who is this messenger? Well, we see it's the angel Gabriel. And who's Gabriel? Does it matter? Well, I think it kind of does. He's not so an ordinary schmo angel, if there's such a thing. He's the archangel. He is the highest angel in God's army. He is the highest messenger God could send. This is an important message given to the most highest official in his angelic messenger service. Now, Gabriel comes and returns to earth, sent to deliver God's message to a teenage girl named Mary. We read that Mary was living in a city in Galilee. I love it. It's interesting to note that Galilee is not very important in Scripture. Uh, Matthew, quoting Isaiah 9, calls it Galilee of the Gentiles. Um, Galilee is an area in Israel that's about 100 miles north of Jerusalem and just to the west side of the Sea of Galilee. It's not the hub of activity. And why is this in the wrong order? That has just screwed me up terribly. Anyway. Sorry. But we know that Gabriel was dispatched to a place that you really couldn't even call a city. It was just a bump in the road. It was nowheresville. If you were from... Nazareth, that's why Nathaniel said in 
John 1.46, can any good thing come from Nazareth? This is, this is Hicksville. So if you were dropping down into Jerusalem, you were a nobody if you were from Nazareth. And so what's happening here is nobody's significance ever come from Nazareth. This is the first time in the Bible we've ever heard the word Nazareth mentioned. And you expect to be ostracized if you're from there. So mighty Gabriel might have questioned the Lord if he had a mind to. Why would you send me there? Nothing happens in Nazareth. Does it? I mean, you're sending me to a teenage version of no special account. She's not married. She's engaged to this guy named Joseph. But he's not very special either. He's just a common laborer. He's not a king. He's not a governor. He's the village carpenter. And she's nothing special. She's unassuming. And the text says it this way. Joseph was of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Well, Mary's a very common name at that time. In fact, there are seven Marys in the New Testament. Did you know that? Pretty common. So do you see it? God sends Gabriel to a very common woman with a very common name who lived in a very common place, engaged to a very common man who had a very common occupation, there was nothing special in the world's eye about this couple. They would not stand out in a crowd. Doesn't that give you hope? Doesn't that make you go, whoo, I fit right in. In fact, I think this is just what God does. He, he skips the elite. He skips the famous. He skips the powerful. He goes down to the nobodies. He goes down to the nobodies. Look at King David. Where was he? He was in the field tending sheep. He didn't even think worthy by his own father to be brought in to meet with Samuel. He's a short dude with freckles. Why would I bring him in here? But God says, I don't look at the outward. I look at the heart. So here's what's going on. Just like 1 Corinthians 1.26 said when we preached it about five months ago, we got to hear it again. Consider your calling, people, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God chooses who? The foolish, the weak, the base, the things that are not. And why? So that man may not boast before God. This is God's official playbook. He's following rule one, use nobodies. So we don't need to revere Joseph and Mary as superstar saints or wonderful world shakers. They were like David out in the field tending sheep. They were picked because they were nobodies, but God made them somebody. And you in here, you might think I'm a nobody, but you know what? God uses people just like you and me to do stuff that's way beyond our pay grade. Isn't that cool? We don't have to worry about that. God says, if I have a job for you and I pick you, I can use you if you will follow me. Well, let's keep going because I think this is the first good lesson. God wants to use people just like us to accomplish his will because we qualify as a bunch of common people who are not wealthy, noble, royal, or even that smart.
But guess what? God accomplishes incredible things through people just like that. Well, the unexpected message. The second thing we're going to see is the unexpected message, and it begins in verse 28 with these words. Gabriel said, and coming in, he said to her, I love this. There's descriptive language right in the middle of this. Clearly, Mary, he didn't come inside her body, so he obviously came inside a building. She was in some building. She was in a house. She was maybe cleaning her kitchen. I don't know what that looked like in the first century, sweeping dirt. I, I don't know. But she was doing chores around her home, and I don't know where. The archangel Gabriel is standing next to her. So if that happened to you tomorrow morning, what would be your response? Oh, hey, Gabriel, cool. I don't think so. And it's really amazing that six months earlier, we know that that's true, because he walked in on Zacharias, and he didn't say a word. He didn't frighten him. He just stood there, and Zacharias said was terrified. I think that's what God does when he steps in our life. If we don't have the covering of Jesus Christ, God will terrify you. But he said we should still fear him, right? Reverent fear for God is important. But anyway, as he comes in, we know that terrifying thing is possible. So he says, I, I got to calm you down. He, he realized he might have made a mistake with Zacharias because he came in and stood and looked at him for a while. And Zacharias just fell as a puddle. So this time he comes in speaking to Mary. It says he didn't even wait for her to be terrified. He started speaking words of encouragement right off the bat. And he says, greetings, favored one, which actually means hail, the rejoice, of the one endowed with grace upon grace. Well, if you hear this, hail, favored one, if you find this. You recognize that anyway? If you have some Catholic background in you, you might realize that this is the same place that get hail, Mary, full of grace. This is where this comes from. And the, I want to make sure everybody's clear. Mary is not the source of grace. Mary does not have grace to dispense to all of you today. Mary was in need of grace. Mary was a sinner just like you and me. And what the angel told her is, guess what, Mary? As sinful as you are, I'm giving you grace from God as a gift. She's not the source of grace. She was a receiver of grace. But when she heard these words, I think she was troubled a little bit. I think I would have been too. She remembers where those words came from in, in the Bible, from the Torah, from the scriptures. Every time God used the words, you are highly favored, or hail, favored one, bad things followed. I mean, think of Noah, when he says he was favored by God. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and the world was flooded and destroyed. Okay, that didn't sound too good. Okay, he was saved, but it was a bad time. How about uh, Gabriel, Judges? It says this, um, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior who's acting cowardly. He didn't feel like a valiant warrior. And what was he up against? He was up against insurmountable odds as an army that he was told to take there with 300 people. That doesn't sound like a fun assignment. And she's thinking these things and saying, wait a minute, hail favored one, Lord is with you. Oh, what's coming next? 
That's a weird greeting. And so she pondered it. That's what it says. She's pondering the greeting. What in the world do you mean? And pondering really is an accounting term in the Greek. It really means trying to make things add up. They don't add up. I'm working hard at it. The wheels in her head are turning, but she's not coming to a solution. This is a weird greeting. Where is it going? Because I'm scared. And that's exactly what Gabriel noticed. And the next thing Gabriel says is, do not be afraid, Mary. Why not? I'm terrified. He says, I'm going to tell you some good news. And he says this, and behold, and the word behold here we should really take to mean as look carefully, observe, see. Uh, you need to focus and see, hear what I'm trying to tell you, Mary. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Now, she could be thinking right now that whew, I won't be barren. I'll get married in six months, and I'll have a child. I guess we'll name him Jesus. That means Yeshua, means Lord of salvation. Sounds cool. I'm okay with this so far. But the angel didn't stop there. He keeps going on, and he will be great. Well, that's good to know. He'll be great. Um, means megas. You heard the word mega something? This is the word. Jesus will be a mega son. He will have greatness in this world that's unsurpassed. And it says, he will be called the son of the most high. I think her wheels are starting to lock up. Okay, this isn't, she's not talking about Joseph now. Gabriel's not talking. It's God. And the term most high is an Old Testament title for God. And it stresses his sovereignty, his supreme authority that towers over everything in the universe. There's no power and authority higher than God most high. It's all, it's the top. It's most high. There is nothing even close. So he's saying to you, your son will not be the son of a human being, but of God most high. So the son in your womb will be of the very same essence as God the Father. In fact, he will be God incarnate, God in flesh. This message keeps getting more disturbing. She's getting a little more troubled, but we read on. And the Lord will give him, your son, the throne of his father David. See, David was in the Davidic line, right? But he wasn't the biological fam uh, father of Jesus, but he is the legal father of Jesus. In Israelite society, he is the legal father of Jesus. So he is of David. Well, we read here, Mary... You're not going to have an ordinary boy. He's going to sit on the throne of his forefather, David. And on top of that, he will not only sit, he will reign, he will possess, he will exercise absolute authority over Israel, over the house of Jacob. And notice the length of his reign. Said Mary's son would reign forever. Now she remembered David was a great king, but he reigned for 40 years and he died. Solomon was a sometimes great, sometimes bad great uh, king, and he died. All the rest of the kings that sat on the throne, they died. And now you're telling me, my son, great, son of God, throne of David, forever, she's got the picture. He's definitely not talking about Joseph and now. He's talking about immediately, right now, and I'm going to have 
the Messiah. She remembers in 2 Samuel 7, beginning at verse 12, the prophet Nathan told King David this promise from God. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, he's not talking about taking a nap, he's talking about dying, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name. Sound like Solomon? And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. We go to verse 16. It says, your house and your kingdom, David, shall endure before me forever. Your throne, your right to exercise power and authority over this world shall be established forever. So now she's got it. The wheels have finally locked in place. And she's saying, you're talking about me having the Messiah, aren't you? Um, and she's saying, uh, the Messiah is going to be in my womb. Uh, he's going to be my son, son of the Most High, sit on his forefather's throne. I think I'm going to pass out. <laughs> I would. I mean, what would you do, women, if that's the message you got? Pass out, right? Um, God was asking her to be God's mother. A tough assignment, wouldn't it be? Well, let's look at the third thing from this passage, the unexpected miracle. So Mary obviously would have had at least one question, I think. I mean, if it was you or me, and the angel had just said, by the way, you're going to have a baby, uh, he's going to be the son of God, He's going to rule on his father's thrones of David forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Do you have any questions? I would have had a ton. But the question that Mary asks, as recorded in Scripture, is different than the probably ones we would have asked. We would have said, what's going on here? Uh, or, why me? Why'd you come here? I'm nobody. Why'd you ask me? I don't want this job. Or maybe she would say, why now? Can't you wait till after I'm married? It's going to solve a lot of problems when I'm in society. That's not their question. Her question was, how? How? How's this going to happen? I mean, I'm a virgin, which means I really, I don't know a man intimately. I've never been intimate with a man in my life. How? I mean, she does understand her biology. She understands that if you have a rock and you drop it, it falls. She understands the law of gravity. She understands that women don't get pregnant without any contact with a man. It doesn't happen. It's never happened in the history of the world. And the angel says, good question, Mary. Let me tell you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I think this is so delicate language to describe such a graphic thing that has to happen. He's saying clearly, the Holy Spirit is going to create a child in your womb. You don't have to do a thing, Mary. The Holy Spirit himself will create this baby right out of nothing in your womb. And he's going to combine, he's going to join infinite sovereignty and deity with perfect humanity. He's going to do that for you. Well, and then he says that 
overshadow you. I think this is a kind of a hint toward the Shekinah glory where God is often referred to as the cloud. There's the presence of the cloud. Do you remember in the temple that says when Solomon was dedicating the temple, no one could go, it was a cloud in the temple that no one could go in? That's the cloud, the Shekinah glory cloud of God. But I think it's also a tender and beautiful illustration of when a cloud goes overhead and brings shadow on the ground. How impactful is that? is gentle, it's tender, it's sensitive. So the Holy Spirit, it doesn't have a body, a physical body, it doesn't have sexual organs, so it would not be like any other conception in the history of the world. Basically, he's saying, Mary, just trust me, the Holy Spirit's gonna come and he's gonna do this all, and you'll be so gentle, you won't even know it happened. I think that's incredibly sensitive and tender. But this joining is going to join such a way that there's going to be the sovereign Jesus, Son of God, God forever, joined with a man. And when Jesus is joined with a man, please know that he's not less God. You understand? He's not less God. It's the God-man is not sometimes God and sometimes man. He just switches, well, I'm going to act like man now. Oh, I'm acting like God now. No, it's one being, two natures, human and divine, fully, I don't want to use fully, very God and very man, undiminished in both categories, operating simultaneously in one person. I mean, try to explain that to somebody. I mean, Dr. Stephen Lawson said this, try to define the virgin birth and you'll lose your mind. Deny the virgin birth and you'll lose your soul. See, we have to understand when Jesus came to earth and surrendered some of his rights voluntarily, he didn't cease to be God. He didn't lose them somewhere and have to go retrieve them. He retained all of his sovereignty as deity. Even when he was an embryo in his mother's womb, we must understand that Jesus, the Son of God, was still holding all matter in the universe together in Colossians 1. Even as an embryo, even as a, a, a baby in diapers, even as a stumbling toddler, he was in charge of the universe. Sounds incredible, doesn't it? How would you like to raise that baby? That would be a challenge. In fact, that's why it says in the Scriptures that the son will be called holy. The world had never seen a holy child born. Every child that has ever been born has never been holy. Never. See, I think, this just made me me, but I think Adam was created innocent, not holy. But Jesus is created holy, just like God the Father is holy. And according to uh, Psalm 51.5, it says we all inherited this sin nature. So you might say, well, I think sin is, is, is retrieved from an environment. They're born good, but they end up going bad because of a bad environment. No, no, the Bible says that the moment we were conceived, the poison of sin was running through our veins, and we were dead to God from that instant. We didn't, you didn't have a microsecond of existence that you weren't a rebel to God. 
Not one. We were born in sin. And that's why we needed a new kind of birth. Another human, a really good human, would not get it done. We needed a holy human, a God-man. Well, I think another thing is that when Jesus was born, he was already infinitely older than his mother and yet younger. An enigma. He was a human just like us. So God made a human that was just like us. Had skin, had bone, had blood vessels, had nerves, had pain. It could feel everything we feel. And that's what Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10.5. It says, a body you have prepared for me. Okay. So God prepared a real human body for the Son of God. And that means it could, needed to eat. It needed to rest. It could bleed and it could die. He needed one of those. Because you know that a Holy Spirit, a spirit, a God who is spirit, cannot die. You can't nail a spirit to a tree. It took a human body to be nailed to a tree. But he also created something else. The Holy Spirit created something else in Mary's womb, and that was the soul of the body. A body that has a mind and emotions and a will a, a body that could choose right and wrong. He had to stand in the place of Adam and where Adam made a bad choice, Jesus made the right choice. We needed him to have a perfect body and a perfect soul. And he grew up and he had to learn everything we have to learn. I think we think Jesus sometimes took shortcuts. Pull on his deity cord, I know the Hebrew language. Uh, I know how to eat. I know how to walk. Jesus had to learn how to walk as a human just like we did. Can you imagine the Son of God stumbling through the living room, tripping over the dad's feet? That's, it's, it's almost incomprehensible. But Jesus was so human just like us. And why? He wanted to get in our shoes. He wanted to identify with us. He wanted to be the perfect, sympathetic high priest he wanted to take the test that Adam failed and passed he became a perfect mediator and you know what a mediator is it can't really be a mediator if you are aligned with one party or the other a mediator has to relate to both sides and what do you mediate? you mediate a conflict an unreconcilable situation between one party and another and we had a wholly offended God and we have a sinful rebellious humanity who can stand in the middle and be equal to both Jesus the God man that's why he came that's why he was born of a virgin. That's why he's here. He can stand in the middle and he can say, God, you and I are the same thing. People, you and I are the same thing. I'm here to bring you together. It's awesome. It's awesome. See, in no other, you got to understand this. No other birth, no other human in the history of the world could ever stand in that place. No angel could stand in that place. No angel, even if he hasn't sinned, can stand in that place. They're not equal to both. No pastor, no religious leader, 
Nobody on earth is fit to stand in that place but Jesus, the God-man. That's why we say, Noel, come and see what God has done. We now have a way back to the Father through Jesus. At Christmas, the biggest love gift ever given is a son who could bring us back to the Father. There's no other Christmas story like this. There's no other story like this. In fact, the virgin birth isn't just a cute little story about no room in the inn. It's the very bedrock of Christianity. Take away a virgin birth, and there is no qualified mediator between God and man. Take away the virgin birth, and there is no perfect sacrifice on Calvary. Take away the virgin birth, and there is no sympathetic high priest. We gotta understand, you pull, pull, if you don't believe this, you throw Christianity away. It's not the same. The biblical Christ had to be a virgin birth. Well, the unexpected sign, verse 36, the angel now tries to encourage Mary and build her confidence and faith in God. And so he begins again with the word behold. This is the third time he's used it. And the angel says, and behold, pay attention, look for yourself, Mary. Even your relative Elizabeth has now also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. What he's, what he's telling her is, look around, Mary. Miraculous things are happening. And if you doubt God's power to do something amazing, just look over here at Elizabeth. See, because Mary knew Elizabeth. That's why he said it. She was her relative. And she knew she had been barren her whole life. And she was way past able to have a baby. And so for her to tell her, she's already in her sixth month. So this is no joke. This is no premature announcement. This is a done deal. Our God, he's telling her, Mary, if you don't think this is real, what, I can, what God can do in your womb, I want you to see and look around and know that you have a get-it-done God because he already got it done right there. Right? He's already got it done. And he can do it in you. And we need to know he can do it in us. We're not some second class here. God will work in whoever trusts him. Well, and Gabriel follows it up with, and I want you to know something, Mary. And we need to etch this in our minds. Hear me well. Do not forget this next week because some of you might. For nothing will be impossible with God. So how many things are impossible? Zero? Yes? Okay. Whatever's in the heart of God to do, he can do. God never overpromises or underdelivers. Nothing will ever be impossible with our God. Sometimes I think our God is too small. We forget that our God said, let's see, make a universe out of nothing. Yeah, I did that. Or how about, I'm going to make life, not out of a zillion years of goo. I'm going to take some dirt and go, life. This is our God. How big is your God? Is that the God you think of when you have your prayer time? Or are you thinking about, well, something might be too hard for God. You know, I don't know. But we have to know that no door is shut too tightly for him to open. No obstacle is too big for him to get through. No person is too far lost that God cannot save and redeem. God is the impossible 
doing God. So maybe right now you're thinking of something that's been impossible in your life. Something that he just can't do. You know, too hard. By his authority of the word, there is nothing in your life that he cannot conquer, defeat, remove, change, adjust, change you. He can get you out, get you through. God works the impossible. Do not give up. Never give up. Our God does the impossible. Because sometimes I think we think too much like Star Wars, uh, movie dramas. There's the good side. And there's the bad side. And they're fighting. And who's going to win? It's a tug of war. There is no tug of war with God. There's nobody next to him. There's nobody next to him. Nobody's even close to him. I can't even describe how different God is from any created thing, including Satan, who is the most powerful creating, created thing he made. The most powerful created thing he made can be removed with a thought and a word. And he's not just defeated, he's gone. See, we got to put our perspective of who our God is. Well, lastly, let me go through Mary's unreserved submission, verse 38. So what would be your response to this statement? You're going to have a child. Could you imagine the impacts that a message would have in your life? So you're sitting there, you're single, you're a virgin, you don't even have a husband yet that's going to take care of you. Would you have some questions uh, would you be thinking about your responsibilities? How am I going to handle this? Uh, your reputation? What are people going to think? Your relationships? Or would you say that, well, you know what? I need a little more information. Um, or maybe I've got to go home and pray about this, Gabriel. Has God ever hit you up with an opportunity and that's what you say? Hmm. Well, this one, she didn't do that. Well, what else, what else could you say? She said, well, I need to go talk to Joseph. You do know he's never going to believe this. When I go in there and tell him, hey, Joseph, guess what? I got good news and bad news. Um, good news, God visited me today. Bad news is I'm pregnant. Uh, how'd you get pregnant? God. Can you cite any examples where that's happened before? No. Yeah, I don't think so. And he really didn't believe her. It says in Matthew that he was going to put her away. But God had to come tell him, Joseph, she's right. And he was amazingly followed God. But this is not how Mary responds. I am incredibly amazed. I'm incredibly amazed at Mary's response. You've got to love Mary. As you look at verse 38, it starts out with the verse, word, and. And Mary said. Do you see that? Which means this is, it kind of implies no gap in the timeline. It, it, it implies it's almost an immediate response. He got done, and Mary said. She, she, she didn't delay a microsecond, and she says, yes. Well, she didn't say yes. She basically says, I really, uh, let's look at her words. Mary said, behold, well, now Mary's talking like Gabriel. Behold, Gabriel. 
I am the bond slave of the Lord. What you're looking at, Gabriel, is a bond slave. And that means she's a doulos in Greek. She's a slave. She knows what her responsibilities and duties are. I'm the Lord's slave. He's my master. Gabriel, I know my place. I know what I must do. I just report for duty. I don't need to understand it. I'm not going to negotiate this. I'm just going to say, you make his will known. It's done. And she says, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me. Just do it, God. My life is on the altar. I've already offered it. It's yours. It's my spiritual act of worship. May whatever you want in my life be done. Is that how we talk? Or do we know of a lot of things that we think God wants us to do, but just not the right time. Eh, not ready yet. I should forgive that person, but you know, they don't deserve it. You know, I should serve, but you know, I'm a pretty busy person. There's a lot of things that I think we struggle with in this area, and it's not Mary's response. Our response does not matter. Mary's response is incredible. But our response today just has to be like Mary's was. We were purchased, right? Our life is not our own. We don't understand what that looks like, do we? See, we've never lived in a monarchy. Well, some of us. Maybe some of us have. Most of us have not lived in a monarchy. We're so people-centered. Uh, you don't have my vote. Well, tell that to King David. You don't have my vote, David. Okay, you're dead. Next. When you live in a monarchy, the king has ultimate rule and right. We were bought by the king. We are slaves to the king, love slaves to Christ. And what he says we should do, we should be saying, may it be done to me. Do not delay in what you know God wants you to do. Mary did not, and it is incredible. And it says right after that, the angel departed from her. <laughs> He's an efficient dude. I mean, we've had, have you ever had some of these things where you went on a long flight for a short meeting? This is Gabriel. Long flight, short meeting. It's probably two or three minutes, maybe five. I don't know how long this meeting was with Mary. But it wasn't long. But he was done. He communicated God's message. He confirmed that the message was received. And Mary was fully on board with the will of God. I'm done. He's out. He didn't stay and have coffee. See, that's part of my problem in efficiency in life. This is an aside. I, sometimes I get the work done, and then I waste so much time chit-chatting that I lose the ability to do other, two other jobs. We have to be more like the angel Gabriel here. When you get your work done, move to the next one. But in any case, what we have to see here is it was a short meeting, and we have to ask ourselves, if God's done talking to you about an issue, what's your response? Is it immediate? Or is it, let me think about it. Let me pray about it. Let me go ask Joseph. Let me ask a few more questions. Or are you just going to say, yes, Lord. It's time to surrender. Because I don't know what's hard in your life right now. You might be uh, caring for an ailing relative or friend. That's hard. But if God's calling you to do that, press on. Press on. 
God will give you the power because nothing is impossible with God. Now, maybe you're single and you wish you were married and you just can't wait for God to bring the right person. So you're gonna go out and experiment. No, you need to press on trusting God, waiting for his plan to unfold. Nothing is impossible with God, even that perfect person that God wants you to have. Maybe you're married, but you wish you were single. The same applies to you and to me. Press on. If it's God's will for you to be married and love your wife in an understanding way, press on. He didn't say it would be easy, it would be convenient, it would be fun. But you have to press on. Maybe God's asking you to forgive someone today that really hurt you. And you say, that's impossible. I can't do it. I'd ask you to reconsider. In the name of Jesus, reconsider. Because he said all things are possible. And if that's his will for you, and it is for all of us, because that's one of Jesus' number one things is to forgive. He's put it in his prayer to the Father. He wants, you know when we ask the Lord's Prayer, he says, and forgive us in the way we forgive our debtors or those who trespass against us. That means, God, use me as a model. I want you to forgive me the same way as I'm forgiving them. How good would you pass that test with God? He says, okay, I'll take you up on that. I'll forgive you just like the way you do. I don't want that. I want to be forgiven like God forgives me. But that's an extra. Okay, let me close. I think we need to remember a few things. Just like Mary, everyone in this room needed to have and needs to have a miraculous new birth. Mary had God working in her womb to create new life, and God needs to work in us to create new life. Jesus said, you must be born again. So you too must experience a miraculous birth. You too must have the power of God work in your life to make you a new life. You know, hear me. Christianity is not raising your hand, walking down the aisle, reciting a prayer, being admitted to a church membership or being baptized. That does not make you born again. It will not. The only thing that makes you born again is the spirit of the living God when we come to him and say, I need you. I need new life. I need Christ. I trust in him alone and the work he did on the cross. And God will renew you in an instant. You will have a new birth that's unexplainable, miraculous. And that's what everyone, including me, has needed and either has. I'm going to guess that most of the people in the room have already come to know Jesus Christ and have been born again. But I can never assume that everybody in this room has been born again. So what I say to you is you need this just as powerfully as God worked in the womb of Mary to create our sinless God-man Savior. You need him to come work in your life and create new life in you. See, you need to have the gift of faith. You need to have the gift of repentance. You need to have the gift of eternal life. And that comes when we are born 
again of saved our Savior Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. You all and I all need this. So before we close today, I want you to know that there's no salvation, there's no hope in anyone else other than for Jesus because it's the only name given among men that we can be saved. Well, I think if you're a child of God, but you heard me today and you said, you know what? In these areas, my God is too small. I just don't think he's going to help me in this area. He sure hasn't in the past. My God is too small. Now, you know he's not. But we need to make sure that God helps us enlarge our mind and see us how big is God really. Because if we have a big view of God, we have greater faith. Your faith is tied to the size of your God. You got a weeny, teeny God? You got weeny, teeny faith. What can he do for you? Well, he loves me. But can he help you? Uh, I'm not so sure. Wow, it's hard to have faith in a God like that. Our God not only loves us so much that he would send his own son to come as a baby man and to die on a cross, but he has the power to do everything. I can't believe it. We got such an amazing God. Well, there might be some here too, I have to say, that they haven't said no to God. They've stiff-armed God. They've heard his will. They know his will, but they won't do his will. Today is the day to surrender Today is a day to say yes. So if you're any of these three people, before I pray, I'm going to ask our elders and our pastors to come up because what I want to do is I want to invite, if you're here, you just stumbled in today, but you now know that you need Jesus Christ, this God-man, to be your mediator between God and man and to rescue you because of the death on the cross to pay for your sins. You need to come forward and talk and pray with us. And if you're here because your God has been just too small and you've given up hope in certain areas, God just can't help me here. I want you to come forward and recommit your knowledge of him as he's the amazing, can-do, impossible-working God. And third, if you're here and you've been stiff-arming God, you're not doing what Mary did. You didn't say, do it unto me according to your word. And by the way, according to your word is according to this book. Don't live by feelings today. Don't live by emotions. Don't live by the worldview or people's opinions. This is what we live by. Do it according to thy word. This is how we must live. I'm going to pray. And while I'm praying, I want the pastors and the elders to come forward. If you need to come up or you want and God's drawing you, you feel, you know what? I've never heard this before, but I got to come. You come. The door's open. Jesus wants to invite you in and give you eternal life. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to see your word, to know Christ, the God-man, our reconciler, our mediator, our sympathetic high priest, our faithful representative in the third heaven, the one who has passed through death into life, Father, we have such an amazing Savior, and this is such an amazing love gift at this Christmas time. Christmas isn't about trees, presents, and mangers. It's about Jesus Christ, 
the love-given God-man who came by way of a virgin. Help us to follow you today, to obey you today, and see you how big as you are today. In Jesus' name, amen.